Destructionist Radio presents The War Room, where we discuss tactics for strategic Christian living. Mighty Lord, extend your kingdom, be the truth with Welcome to The War Room. I'm your host, Bill Evans. We're here for episode two of my interview with my good buddy, uh, Jack Campbell. And uh, you'll remember a little bit about uh, from our episode one that Jack's uh, calling in life, his his life's purpose has been virtually to extend Christ's kingdom and to honor the king by making disciples. And uh, one of the, the questions that, that I have to ask myself, and I do these self-evaluations, and, and, I, and I ask, who can I point to in my circle of friends or acquaintances today that are uh, going on with Christ, uh, living uh, for Him and, and to, for the purpose of, of uh, extending Christ's kingdom, being kingdom-driven, as we like to say, as a direct result of the time I've invested in them and the skills that by God's grace I was able to impart to them. And as you look at your own life and as we do our, these evaluations, and if you're hungry for that and say, that's what I want. I want not only in my children and my spouse, but but in associates at work and friends at, at, in providential uh, arrangements, I want that. And if that's the case, then listen up to what we're going to be talking about here on this particular episode. Jack, welcome again to the War Room. Good to be here, Bill. We're going on. Uh, we're on uh, afterburner here, overdrive, <laughs> and um, I'm cutting into your late night study and my late night driving. But this is all for a good cause, the best cause we know, right? Amen. Uh, building Christ's kingdom for His glory, and I'll tell you what you know. And we throw that around like that is just like a cliche it's kind of like that's our hobby you know and you know me you you uh, jack knows me the way nobody knows me and he knows what a what a <laughs> i won't call myself a trophy of grace but i'm definitely a product of grace <laughs> and and uh and uh so it's really with great relish and pleasure and humility and gratitude to god that he has me in this place where we're in, we're actually talking about this sort of thing with a view to actually doing it. We're not just kicking it around, are we, Jack? This is not theoretical for us. No, no, this is very real. All right, brother. Well, uh, Jack, uh, in his time in, in Spain, uh, as he wanted to uh, um, disciple his own children and to make disciples there in Spain, and he began to to take all of the things that he had learned in seminary and in the Marine Corps and in, in medical school and in the, the trenches of being a pastor uh, in, in a local church and, uh, and, and making disciples where you were. Uh, Jack came up with this mystical sort of a <laughs> secret weapon. And it's been, and it's commonly, of course, anybody who knows us in, in these environments has heard of the castle. <laughs> and uh and and 
I want to give you all a peek inside the castle. Uh, and what this constitutes is really a, well, I'm going to let Jack tell you. Jack, introduce us to the <laughs> castle. I will, but uh, before I do that, I want to follow up from our last interview and actually give some assignments beforehand instead of waiting to the very last. Because as you know, Bill, every time we get together, part of our training, and I say our trainings because not only am I investing in you, uh, but I learn from you and every other individual that comes into my life. So it's always two-way. It's never one way. It's never uh, a preaching kind of situation where I sit there and you sit there and you just take notes and what I say and that's it. It's always dialogue. Uh, and that's, again, part of the heart of discipleship is your, your iron is sharpening iron. You're learning from one another. Uh, and as you know, every time we get together, I end up giving you, if not one, several assignments uh, that we follow up on. Uh, and so... Are we are we still good? I'm I'm seeing some some uh, verbal expressions I was, here. I was hearing some feedback. This is reality internet <laughs> podcasting here, folks. So we're unscripted, we're still, unedited. So we're still live then, right? Live as we can be. <laughs> okay. At least for the next hour. <laughs> well, uh, as you know, when you're here, you end up leaving with a number of gifts, uh, mainly assignments that I give you for your own sanctification and to help you invest in your own children as well as other truckers and other individuals God has placed within your posse, within your, your, your sphere of influence. Uh, and I want to follow up from our last interview in basically letting your hearers follow up on a man that we introduced to them, that last one called Vishal Mangalwati. And the book that initially that I recommended to them was the one that was titled Truth and Transformation, a Manifesto for Ailing Nations. Uh, not alien nations, alien nations. And it is a must-read book for anyone that has any interest in true biblical discipleship and the extent of it along the lines of with the father of modern missions, William Carey, who, as you know, was a reformed missionary from England uh, that came to India and many times the battles he was fighting wasn't against the pagans in India. It was against brothers in England that did not understand the kingdom that did not understand the implications of the kingdom and what he was doing and how it was truly expanding the kingdom of Christ, even though it wasn't in in their worldview that kind of ministry. And so, so part of his battles that he fought were against churchmen who did not understand discipleship. Yeah, they thought that he should be primarily concerned with soul winning. I like what uh, it was Amy Carmichael and my interview with Matt Trahella mentioned how when Amy Carmichael was uh, combating the the, uh, the sex slavery and the uh, the abuses there, uh, was told rebuked that she should uh, concentrate on saving souls, and her response was, "Well, souls more or less usually come in bodies." <laughs> Absolutely, 
And this is where William Carey, for example, was the man God singularly used and through the Indian legislature to outlaw the burning of wives when their husbands died. Uh, and so it was just one of many examples of how uh, William Carey, again known as the father of modern missions, a foreign man, even though people like to miss that point in theology, but yet he, because he was truly a man of the Reformation, understood Jesus as king. And he's a king over everything. And sadly, we've missed that, not only in our country, but in missions around the world. And so with that thought, and especially under the, the, the theme of discipleship, I want to piggyback on what we concluded with last time mm -hmm. uh, with the book that, again, the, the name of it is Truth and Transformation, a Manifesto for Alien Nations. And this interview, I'd like you, uh, your readers and listeners to uh, maybe press on with his uh, magnum opus, which is how the Bible created the soul of Western civilization. And the book's titled, The Book That Made Your World. And between these two books, uh, your listeners will have a gold mine in Reformed discipleship. Now, the question will come, yes, I have this information, and this information is good. How do I put it into action? How can I get this out of my mind, into my hands, to my feet, and to a very needy world? And that's where the castle comes in. And basically, uh, let me take you back to Madrid, because this is where all these thoughts came together. Because at this time, we were working to reach outreach to over 100,000 internationals. Uh, in Madrid that were speaking English, as well as working with the indigenous Spanish-speaking, Castilian-speaking people, with a sister church there in Spain, uh, pastored by probably the greatest Reformed missionary we still have in Spain, Pastor John Hanna. Uh, and working with uh, John, my good buddy John, uh, we met together in my home. And again, this was the, this is the place for discipleship, the home. And in this case, we had a group called the Jovenes. And now in Spain, Jovenes refers to what we would call a youth group. And tragically, in the American church, a youth group is segregated into junior high, high school, college, graduate, etc. Uh, in Spain, because in Spain, the evangelical community is 0.8% percent of the population and that's the 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 entire evangelical population including uh on one side pew jumping pew jumping pentecostals and the other side very reformed and proper uh presbyterians and reform types like uh, ourselves and yet together we only comprise 0.8 percent and so uh, we're a minority's minority in this very historic great country of espana and as we were training, coming together, we would meet for sometimes several hours, minimal two hours. Most of the time, we go two and a half to three hours because, thankfully, Spain, like most countries, is not time-centric. They're event-oriented. And so uh, we, thankfully, had liberty there that we don't have here in America, which, th uh, unfortunately, are uh, <laughs> enslaved to the clock. 
uh, whereas uh, in Spain and most actually countries, uh, they're there for the event, they're there for the relationships being built. And that's what we're in the process of doing. And so as we were training these, these individuals from both our church as well as several of our sister churches, uh, and we spent over two years in reformed evangelism and apologetics, teaching them good presuppositional apologetics, reformed evangelism, where we don't start with man and sin, we start with God and creation. And so they spent over two years learning scriptures, memorizing scriptures, singing scriptures, praying scriptures. And so by the end of that, we asked them, well, where should we go now? And remember now, this is before TV shows like Survivor and these, re and these shows that are known now as reality shows were popular. This is at the turn, uh, beginning of the millennium, actually, uh, and the very beginning of, uh, of 2001, before 9-11. And this is important because uh, the question we asked them is, um, what do we do next? Now that you know how to share the gospel and you know how to do it from the scriptures because they had memorized scripture, they could do it without any tracks, without any, any influence that was external. They could do it literally uh, from the scriptures they had hid within their hearts. Where should we go now? And of course, the practical application is, uh, well, how do we get there in a, in a very fun as well as practical way? And so we basically gave them this scenario. What if God were to take them, and, and this is important for your listeners now because this is how practical uh, discipleship comes about. What if God were to take your youth group, or matter of fact, your men's meeting, or, or any group of men you would have and say, okay, now that you're ready to give the gospel, uh, are you prepared to be sent by me and to any culture that I may send you not only to give the gospel, but to literally be used by me to transform that culture into a Jesus-loving, Bible-based, kingdom-driven culture. And the question we ask our Hoven is, well, how would we do that? And we spent probably the first couple of weeks going through the different ideas. And once we did that, we realized that they had no clue. That is, they had a lot of ideas but as we talked about before, they didn't know how to connect the dots. They didn't know how to take this truth and connect it to this truth. That is the truth of God sovereignly saving sinners to also sovereignly taking those sinners now alive in Christ, that great doctrine in Christ, and uniting that with a biblical view of sanctification and saying how that related to self-government, family government, church government, and yes, civil government. And so as we begin to touch on those subjects, we begin to see the need of having some way to help them learn to remember how all of these dots, as it were, are connected. And that's where, as we begin to pray over it, uh, the Lord gave us the idea, especially in Spain, of the castle. Uh, because the castle basically is a fortress you live in. And throughout the scripture, we see God describing himself as a mighty fortress. And especially for those of us in the Reformed tradition, we can remember the great Martin Luther. And one of the great effects he had, not only was in helping us bring him back to the, to the scriptures and the doctrines of grace as we know them, but in the translating of scriptures and of the actual 
hymn writing itself, that is putting the truths of Scripture in a format that would go straight to the heart, that is an IV to the heart. And so he began hymn writing. And of course, one of the greatest hymns we know is a mighty fortress is our God. And so taking that biblical word picture, fortress, and tying it with the things that in that culture, that is Spain, castles, we began to take these old memory techniques that we talked about on the last interview of how Hebrew orators could literally speak for hours without notes. And how could they do that? Because in their mind's eye, they were simply walking through the rooms where they had attached truths and go and basically in their room go from one truth to the next. And so we basically put this fun scenario to them that I'm going to put to your readers and to your listeners. What if God were to take them and to place them in a scenario? And this is basically the scenario that we gave a hoveness. And the fun thing about this now, remember now, this is before 9-11 in God's providence. And so we said, uh, now God is going to take you as a group, as a youth group. In this case, we're applying it to your listeners now. Going to take your church, your family, whoever your, your, your posse or your, your sphere of influence is, and he's going to take your group. I want you to picture that now. So I'm talking directly to you now, the listener to the war room. What if God were to take you and all those you're influencing? And I'm saying, I'm going to put you in this scenario that basically Pastor Campbell gave years ago to the Hovenists. And this was the scenario that I gave them that I'm now giving your war room listeners. Because you know the doctrines of grace, because you want to apply those doctrines of grace, now I'm going to let you do it. But I want you to do it in a way that I'm going to need you to prepare you for both mind and body. And so I'm going to take your posse, I'm going to take your, your group, and I'm going to send you to a very special place. Because the place I'm going to send you to, you're going to be need to be strong in both body and spirit. Because I've designed you to glorify me in both body and spirit. And so I'm going to send you to Paris Island. And I'm going to send you there because you're going to need your body built up and you need your mind built up. And so picture you, your family, your group going to Paris Island learning all of the skills that young Marines learn. And so you pass this test. You go for three months. You, you hang in there get together. You graduate together. And then God says, well, uh, you passed the first test. Now I'm going to send you uh, to another place over uh, in Georgia. Because I'm going to teach you how to jump out of perfectly good airplanes uh, and to do it safely. And so you go into Fort Benning, and I'm going to teach you how to do that. And so you're going to go to, to jump school. And so this whole team of yours now, your family, whatever, not only have learned all the skills learned in Marine Boot Camp, but now you're going to be going to jump school. And so you do that, and again, you spend all the time necessary and everyone graduates together. No one breaks a leg. No one has any injuries. You're together. And so you gather your troops. You gather together. And God says, okay, you're ready now. So get your pack and pack. Only this time, you're not going to fill it with uh, any ammo or claymores or what have you. You're going to fill it with books. You're going to fill it with pamphlets. You're going to fill it with broadsides, with scriptural things. Uh, and uh, and I want you to, because, because the place I'm going to send you, 
desperately needs Jesus. And I'm going to send you to this place because I love these people. And I'm going to send you because I'm a God who uses ordinary means to do extraordinary things. I use the ordinary means of grace, and I use, thankfully, very ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And I'm going to send you to this place, but uh, you're going to use all these physical skills now and this physical strength. And so you're going there, and I want your backpacks to be filled, hundreds of pounds of Bibles, tracks, notebooks, what have you. And so you pack them, and you're ready to go, and you fly for hours and hours and hours and hours. All of a sudden, the green light comes on. You're ready to jump. Geronimo and you jump out together. And thankfully, you land together. And by God's grace, not one of you gets hung up in a tree because you look around you, and there are no trees. And you look around you, and thankfully, all of you together. But... That's the good news. The bad news is you look around you and you're now all surrounded by men with AK-47s pointing at your heads with guys with beards and with sort of towel-like things on their heads. And they have now captured every single one of you. They've taken away your backpacks so that the only thing you have are the clothes on your back and what is in your heart. And they've taken you, and they've thrown you into prison. Now, this place that you have just jumped into is a place that's known today as Afghanistan. And remember, this is before 9-11, and these individuals are individuals called the Taliban. And they have thrown you into their prison. And as, if you know anything about the Taliban, you know that not only do they hate Christians, but they hate Muslims. And so the majority of the individuals in this prison, which, by the way, is not an American prison, it's an Afghani prison, you're surrounded by Muslims that they didn't like. And so here you are in the middle of this prison. And the reason we, we developed this scenario is because if I can train you to disciple in this environment... You can disciple anywhere, whether it be America, England, Australia, what have you. It's a piece of cake because if I can train you to disciple here in this environment, you can do it anywhere. And so here's the question. What is your mindset? You're now surrounded by Muslims, Muslim prisoners. You have nothing to give away. You have no Bibles. You have no tracts. You have nothing. But more importantly, what do you have? And so the question comes in, where, where are you going to go? What's your first move? And thankfully, because you've had good Marine Corps training, you've learned about great men like Chesty Puller, who in reality was used to save thousands uh, in the Korean War by knowing truthful things about his men, about his machinery, and about warfare. And in this case, you learn the lesson of Chesty Puller. And Chesty Puller literally was, was called in, the Marines were, to save a bunch of doggies, a bunch of army guys that were at that time surrounded by a bunch of communists in Korea. 
And tragically, they woke up one day and found themselves surrounded by even more communists. In this case, the Chinese entered the war. And so they're now they were surrounded and they found out that they even though they had about one division of men, about 12 to 10, 15,000 people, they were surrounded by 10 to 11 divisions of Chinese or North Koreans. That is, they were outnumbered by 1 to 11. And so the real life scenario was, his aide comes in, sir, we are now surrounded. I'm going to clean up the language because this is typical Marine Corps language he gave, and I will not give your listeners the good salty speech that Marines give. But basically, this was his answer uh, in, in response to being, sir, told that we're surrounded. He goes, good, good. We can attack in any direction, and they cannot get away. That's mindset. That's mindset. That's exactly what they did. They broke out and saved not only the army, but their own troops and most of the machinery. That's a real life story. Well, because you were taught that in your Marine Corps training, now that you're in this Afghani prison, what is your mindset? Well, what is your mindset where you are right now? You're surrounded by all these non-Christians. No one is around you. Might be a place in America where there's not many Christians, matter of fact, especially Reformed Christians. What are you going to do? You're surrounded. Well, you have a mindset, and you should have a mindset uh, more than Chester Puller, because even Chester Puller, depending on his men, dear ones, we have Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. And because you've been trained, you have the Holy Scriptures within. And so being in this prison, you're going to say, praise God, I can attack in any direction with the gospel of grace. And you begin by God's mercy to share the gospel. The Holy Spirit falls on these people in this scenario, and let's just say the vast majority of them are converted. Because, by the way, this has occurred in the history of the church. Mass conversions by the, uh, again, we're working at the Holy Spirit. So in this scenario, let's just say that your work is blessed by God. And because you trained to give the gospel, you gave the gospel, the Holy Spirit honored that. Now this is your dilemma. You have babies, thousands of babies, spiritual babies, that is. And the question is, what are you going to do to prepare these babies to go back to their villages with the gospel and transform their villages? Because you know real Marines are going to be coming in physically to set you free sooner or later. And so when the real Marines come in to do that and your fellow prisoners are set free as Christians now going back to their Afghani villages, how are you going to prepare them in this scenario to remember the truth that you're going to give them? But not just to remember it for themselves, but to remember it so they can give it to their families, to their sons, their grandsons, their granddaughters, to, to vi villages that are surrounding them. That is to be able to be never to be a dead end to truth. Now, I'm going to stop there, and Bill, are there any questions that you might have that you think your listeners might have before I proceed? Well, <clears throat> I'm guessing the answer, what you give them, is not Institutes of Biblical Law by R.J. Rushdeny. Well, we're going to work up to that, and ultimately we're going to get translators like, uh, like Bo coming in from Bulgaria uh, to do that because he has a whole team of men and women trained translators who've already done that in Bulgarian. And so we're going to do that ultimately uh, 
as we lay the foundation of good literature, but immediately no. So we're talking about spiritual uh, life support and and then immediately followed by pediatrics. Absolutely. So the question, again, a practical question now, what are you going to do? You have babies that need to not only grow themselves, but also to, to be able to help others to grow. And of course, the first question is, what do we do as as physical parents? For example, I have five living children. Now, they're, thankfully, they're, they're adults. They all love Jesus, and they're pressing on as disciples and, and actually disciple makers. But what I did as a physical parent, one of the first things I did is I did my best, did my very best. And matter of fact, Sherry and I worked hard at this. So they would do two things. They would learn how to feed themselves, and they would learn how to control their bowels and be able to wipe themselves so that they would be toilet trained as early as possible. Now, I know some of you listening might begin to say, oh my, he's getting a little gross on me here. Folks, this is real life. These are things, that, and these are images, by the way, that we need to apply to the church because sadly, in our churches today, we have adults still on the teeth, and we have individuals that do not know how to wipe themselves, and they depend on their pastors to feed them and to wipe them. And that is not acceptable. That is not healthy. And when that's the case, disciples are not made. Okay. Next. <laughs> and so what we must do is begin having a worldview that sees Jesus as king over everything. And this is where the castle comes in. As every castle has a king. And so what we're going to do is use the illustration of castle to recognize, as God does, He's a mighty fortress. We run to him for safety. We run to him for counsel. We run to him for all of life. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We're going to learn to feed on the scriptures and exercise ourselves. And so in this training, we're going to learn how to systematically memorize scripture and to apply scripture so that we're going to build our life and basically build a Christian worldview so that we see all of life through God's glasses, that is God-centered glasses versus man-centered glasses. And so one of the things that we teach uh, our, our young men in the castle is there are basically two warring worldviews, God the creator and covenant maker versus man the created and covenant breaker. That is, we're going to believe either the truths of God or the lies of men using the imagery of Romans 1. Okay. And so what we do is begin to help them memorize Scripture from the very first day. Now, they don't know how to tie it together yet, but children eating don't know how to apply it either but sooner or later we get to help them learn how to eat learn how to feed themselves learn how to control their bodily functions so that they can basically grow up to be reliable self-disciplined adults who will learn how to train others 
And this is why, for example, Ephesians 4 clearly tells us that the pastor teacher, that is the gift that God has given to the church, is designed to be a player coach, as it were, to using in modern terminology. And thus, being on the football field, one of the modern <laughs> uh, sports, I was going to say idolatry, but I won't go that, that, that direction yet. But one of the modern sports that we have today is football, American football. And as a matter of fact, where uh, I live in the South, every Saturday, you're going to have small little towns of uh, 10, 20,000 people uh, grow into cities over 100,000 because they come for a football game. And man, are they excited. Man, are they ready to, to be able to root their favorite team. And what they do not see is that coach on that field, hiking to himself, throwing to himself, blocking for himself, and doing high fives to himself. What he sees is the coach preparing men throughout the week to do that. And of course, the question is, okay, this is a two-hour, three-hour game on a Saturday afternoon usually. How much time, Bill, do you think, this is a physical exercise now, how much time do you think those men spend to prepare for that two- or three-hour game? that literally, even though there are many things that young men learn through these sports that, that are, again, very powerful, but nonetheless have no eternal value. That is, they, they, whether they, what team wins or not makes no difference at all in eternity. And yet they spend how many hours a week, do you think, Bill, to be able to, to prepare for that two-hour game? Well, I don't, I don't watch football too much, and I don't know any football coaches, but I would guess uh, several hours a day. And so... A week, what would you guess? 10 to 20 hours a week? At least, minimum, minimum. When you, Especially when you think of uh, the two days that they have in August, as well as the films they must watch, the time on the field, uh, dieting, exercise, all the things that are in the gym, for example, that they do. All these things, comparing, preparing for a two-hour match or a game or three-hour match. And the reason I mention this is that this is, again, dealing with worldview and discipleship, preparing for spiritual warfare, to rescue the perishing and having rescued those that were perishing to build them up so that they too can rescue the perishing and multiply their efforts in others. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where we go back to, to worldview and expectations. Because tragically, anytime you get into these disciplines, the evil people will either charge you with legalism because you're talking about disciplines and discipline itself, or you're talking about law uh, as if that will actually uh, bring you into bondage, even though the misuse of it certainly can. But tragically, they, they've thrown the baby out with the, water, uh, the, the, the baby with the bathwater on that one. And so what we want to do is help people understand that in the physical world, this is what dedicated, committed people do to prepare just for a game. How much more should we in our mind's eye prepare for, to be trained in this life and the life to come? I'm thinking of a, uh, an excerpt from, I believe it was Walt, uh, Walt Hendrickson's book, I believe it was, on uh, disciples are made, not born, where at one point he was asked, I believe in his young Christian life, if he was interested in being trained in discipleship. 
and he his response was, well, how much time is it going to take? And uh, the person said, the rest of your life. So what, what we're really talking about here is that uh, the disciple, disciple making, and that sounds like it's an activity, but it's not. It's a lifestyle. Correct. Correct. And matter of fact, what, what we do is we, in order to set the stage and have them in a catechismal fashion, remember what we're doing. We actually ask them, what is the biblical definition of discipleship that is used in the Christian account and discipleship council? And again, taking our, our lead from uh, the Westminster Divines, we actually have a catechism kind of answer for that, which is simply this. Uh, in the castle training, uh, the discipleship is the disciplined construction of a Christian worldview distinguished by Bible-based training and Refor Reformation theology that is God-centered, Christ-honoring, and Holy Spirit-empowering. It demonstrates kingdom priorities and results in the biblical transformation of people, cultures, and nations, all to the glory of God. Repeat that. Let's 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 dwell on this a little while because okay. I think this is important. Okay. Uh, well, again, what are we talking about discipleship? Well, in the council training, because it's a worldview reform, worldview training, we're talking about a disciplined construction of a Christian worldview distinguished by Bible-based training. Let me stop there for a second, because that is, even though you look around you, Bill, you see thousands of books. And we love books. We absolutely love books. However, the book of books that we stand upon, we focus on, we memorize, we sing, we pray, is the Bible. So it's focused on that training. Again, and this, and this is important now because it's not just teaching. And one of the things we help them learn, the difference between teaching and training. Because in order to be trained, you have to have a competent coach, you have to have compatible accountability, and you have to have consistent and correct practice. And so thankfully, God has already given us a competent coach, that is the Holy Spirit. Every single blood-bought disciple has the Holy Spirit. Sadly, we in the Reformed community don't like to talk about the third person of the Trinity a whole lot, but that is our power. He is our power. He is uh, the force that will not be like Star Wars, but that's impersonal and pagan, but is God himself who will, in fact, lead us and direct us and coach us. Now, what the Holy Spirit always uses is fallen men. And that's why we want to look, as we talked about last time, who are those men, who are those ladies around us that have maybe been around the sun a few times and have, have learned a few things from more themselves? Who are these older women, older men, we can actually come under, and in matter of fact, today's world word rather is called mentorship. It's a word comes from the business community. I understand it. I, I basically don't like to use it because it get, leads us to the business world, not to the biblical world. And that's why I prefer discipleship because that's basically the word that God uses and the word the Scripture uses. Uh, and so, in that case, we look for older men, older women who will basically love us enough. And this is where 
appropriate accountability that is that is the correct and the, and the compatible accountability come in because you don't want a marine drill instructor as it were uh, unless of course you're in boot camp and there you do but most of us thankfully are not in boot camp we want someone who will lovingly come alongside us and not condemn us but nonetheless give us a kick in the rear end if we need it or pick up after we fall seven times pick us up that seventh time and dust us off and get us on the path and help us learn how to walk and to talk and to do these things we need to do as we press on. And so we need uh, that kind of coach as well. But we also need the accountability. And this is where training comes in. Because if you do not have accountability, you do not have training. I don't care what it is. And that's where, again, relationships come in. And that's why discipleship is so hard because you're dealing with sinners and that's why it's so easy relatively speaking to stay in the library in your books because books don't sin against you sinners do um yeah it reminds me of uh, obviously a, a scenario that we probably had played out dozens of times in our lives when we were uh, involved with the navigators decades ago and the sort of the common greeting that navs had for each other was what's your latest verse and 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 and, and true it, that could become sort of a work sort of thing where you you just you memorize scripture because you didn't want to be caught flat-footed but in in the in the right sense that was accountability mm-hmm. and that's uh just like uh, you know having regularly scheduled phone calls mm-hmm. where you where you meet you talk at a pre predetermined time each week mm-hmm. for not necessarily go on indefinitely but at least for a period of time for prayer and mm-hmm. for and and the bible says you know confess your sins to one another and pray mm-hmm. for one another so that you may be healed mm-hmm. um so and it's that's pretty uncommon mm-hmm. in christian circles today you know the weather uh who who's going to beat who that weekend who's got the uh, you know the, the the nascar or whatever that that's all are are about the presidential elections or some whatever the the news story du jour is mm-hmm. that we saw on the television but very infrequently mm-hmm. do you have christians ask uh kingdom driven questions mm-hmm. like what's your latest verse mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or what has God showed you about yourself this last week in your quiet times or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, when's the last time you've actually shared the gospel mm-hmm. with someone, mm-hmm. whether you intentionally did it or God providentially manufactured the opportunity for you to do that. When's the last time you did that? Yeah. And this is where the relationship comes in. Because as you are <clears throat> praying for one another, the more you pray for one another, the more transparent you'll become with one another because the more you will trust one another. And as that trust builds, then you're going to be able to share at the most intimate of levels things that you really need prayer for and where you really need scriptures to touch on to help you with those areas. And that's where the castle training comes in because as you systematically memorize God's word and and are held accountable to give that word in a way uh, that is very practical, very usable and in and, and conversations. And as you meet together, uh, you look forward to that time of praying together, 
of being able to share those things that are on your heart with one another that you do need to bring before the throne of grace. Uh, and so these, these intimate times, whether they be on the phone or whether they be in your home, although the, the best place is in the home over a cup of coffee or whatever it might be, uh, but the, po the point is you want to have that relationship, that eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball relationship, if that's possible, uh, with those individuals to help them learn how to feed themselves. And that's why one of the things that we teach uh, as we go through the the uh, the training is to help them learn to avoid IEDs. Before you do the IEDs, give us the definition of dis the castle definition of a disciple again, then go okay. into the IED, the we'll spiritual do. IEDs. Yeah, it's very simply the discipline construction of a Christian worldview distinguished by a Bible-based training and re Reformation theology that is God-centered, Christ-honoring, and Holy Spirit-empowering, that is triune. It demonstrates kingdom priorities and results in the biblical transformation of people, cultures, and nations, all to the glory of God. Okay. And this is where we're going to see the salt and light influences that God expects us to show as because we're, we're serving a victorious king, the one who's defeated death, the one who is in fact advancing his kingdom. And we, Bill, have the privilege to co-labor with him to rescue the perishing, to build them up, to parent them, to help them become good parents themselves, and to have multiple generations in our short lifetime here on earth by the power of the Holy Spirit. And of course, one of the ways we're going to do that is to help them avoid IEDs. Okay. <laughs> these are these are some of the early pitfalls, right? Yeah. Okay. And you ask, what is an IED? Well, I know what an IED is, but, but <laughs> what, maybe our What listeners... is an IED, Bill? Tell me what an IED is. Well, it's an, impro <laughs> an improvised explosive device. <laughs> that is correct. Now, as most people, when they hear the term IED, that's what they're going to think of. They're going to think of that physical thing that sadly in both Afghanistan and Iraq is the number one cause of death and injury to all our men and women that are there. Now, when I was in Vietnam, uh, that was my actually my MOS. I was a combat engineer, one of my, one of my three MOSs. Uh, and, and we dealt with mines and booby traps. Now, they weren't called IEDs then, but they were done, basically, they do the same thing. And so we learned the importance of mining out a minefield, for example, or disarming uh, a, a, a bouncing Betty, for example, or other things like that. And as tragic as that is, and if, for example, especially a bouncing Betty, this was a, a landmine that you would step on and it would have a spring underneath it. And what was so devastating with this particular mine, it wouldn't just blow up your toe or your foot but literally it would spring up to about three or four feet and then explode and take out your whole fire team or your squad or platoon. So it was designed not just to take you out of the picture, but everyone with you. And tragically, spiritual IEDs do the same thing. 
And you say, well, okay, well, Pastor Campbell, what is a spiritual IED? Well, it's simply this. It's a mindset. And it's not an improvised explosive device, but it is this. Infantile enslaving dependency syndrome. I, infantile. E, enslaving. D, dependency syndrome. Interesting enough, this is what our brother, brother Rush learned as a young missionary as he served the Indians, what we know as Native Americans today. He saw the effects of IDs in the Indian reservation. We today see it not just in that culture, but we see it in the hood uh, with our black brothers uh, that live in the inner city or with our white brothers that live in trailer parks and other places that are on food stamps, etc., that are literally enslaved to the government handout, the, the civil government. Tragically, and again, as tragic as that is, people in church, unknown to them, many times are like that with their pastors. That is, they haven't learned to do Bible study on their own. They haven't learned to, to be able to, to do uh, observation and interpretation and application as you and I were taught in the early days with the NAVs. Uh, but yet, tragically, most churches do not teach the basics of Bible study. The basics of how do you listen to a sermon? How do you know when he's exegeting the scripture versus eisegeting the scripture? Again, those two terms, most people have no clue as to what they mean. Uh, and yet they should, because one is taking what the scriptures say, other is putting in what you want the scriptures to say. And that's not what we want. But unless you're trained for that, you're not going to listen to a sermon well. And so these are some of the early things that we train our young men and basically how to feed themselves. Uh, and this is part of the council training where we basically help them to memorize the scriptures, to study the scriptures, basics in Bible study, basics in, in, uh, in scripture meditation, as well as other great disciplines. So they will learn how to uh, feed themselves throughout the week in preparation for the Lord's day where they can spend that whole day resting in the Lord and, and receiving great messages preached by their pastors and, uh, and learning how to, to fellowship and to train with one another during that great day. Well, obviously we have much more we can talk about in future episodes. I've seen the Castle Notebook, and it's quite thick. But I think we got to, before we end up this episode, I think uh, it's important that we recap the fact that Christ's Great Commission is disciple the nations. Absolutely. And disciples are made, not born. And they're made one at a time or perhaps one family at a time. Mm -hmm. But the ideal, ideally, it's the parents become disciples and then they disciple their children. So it's... Uh, transgenerational and if it can't be repeated uh it it we need to restructure the truth it needs in other words it needs to be repeatable it needs to be able to be transferable exactly in other words you don't want to be a dead end to truth and you want to have that truth given in such a way that it can be given 
to others so that they don't play, for example, the phone game. Remember how you go out in your circle and you give this message and then you play the phone, like telephone game, and by the time it came around, the message that you got was completely different than what it started. And, and this is, and this is uh, in the days before Gutenberg, <laughs> this was the purpose of the creeds. Absolutely. Uh, to create a device whereby important truths could be learned and then transferred. And uh, uh, if people, and, and so while we may speak in broad terms about the king, you know, extending the kingdom or uh, an optimillennial view of history or the, or the future being as bright as the promises of God and, and all this, and 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 that ultimately when cultures are transformed it's because lives are transformed absolutely and while minds can be illumined and become enlightened by reading books the the method that Christ himself taught is the impartation of uh, that that occurs with life upon on life exactly and that's why the incarnation was in fact there that is god sent his son to live the truth to be the truth for us so that we in turn Matt, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. Or imitate me, depending on the English translation. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. He also spoke in one place of where he didn't presume to teach anything that he hadn't himself mastered or hadn't himself done. So in other words, he wasn't, he wasn't imparting things that were not in his own life. That's right. It wasn't just conveying information. Mm -hmm. But, okay, well, uh, Jack, again, um, tell our our listeners uh, where they can, uh, we're going to, they can submit questions. Yep. Uh, that, you know, I know how to reach you at your, at your private hooch, <laughs> uh, deep in the bosom of the motherland. That's correct. Uh, but uh, online, uh, it's castletraining.org. That's correct. Now, again, it's not online right now, but within, hopefully, and this is where, you, again, your readers pray for us. Uh, we, we've been working on this for a long time, and uh, we just pray that, uh, that all the individuals that are helping with this would do their work and finish their assignments so we can get it online, not just for you all, but for our international students that we're, we're ministering to here, because we have actually five countries right now that are waiting for this, because the beauty of these internationals, English is the language, the common language of the day now. Uh, and, uh, and this is where we'll maybe talk in another uh, war room, uh, how you can use that gift that God has given you English to disciple the nations in very practical ways. And so they're waiting for this website as well. So pray that we'd be able to have this online uh, so that you all can literally download it because it will be in PDF format eventually. And so you can be able to use that in your own training. We hope that you all have found uh, this discussion with uh, 
Jack to be helpful, edifying, challenging, and uh, intriguing. And uh, until next time, so long. Semper Reformanda. Semper Reformanda. Absolutely. Always reforming. Hoorah. Hoorah. From the War Room. Thank you for joining us in the War Room. Please enjoy The Nation's Rage, Psalm 2, by my soul among lions. Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples thought in vain? Seeking to rid themselves of Christ's dominion, a theme that's true in any age. Or tell me why do the heathen nations rage? Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete weekly lineup of seven distinct shows. You can subscribe now to your favorite shows on iTunes, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed on iTunes, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner financially with this ministry. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.